This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's time! It's time! Time to take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome everyone to the must listen to Saturday morning sports talk show in all of Acadiana. And that is Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game. And of course online at 1037thegame.com. As always, we are broadcasting live, baby, from the 237 Roof Studios. Baby, we're looking good. Woo! Thank you, Ric Flair. We are looking good on a Saturday morning. Hopefully you are as well, because after all, we're only a few short weeks away from football season. Talking season, it's largely over for the most part. Obviously, there's going to be some talking to be had, but it's almost time for players across the country to start putting on the pads and get ready in the case of college football August 31st and then I believe not long after that you'll have, you'll have obviously preseason but nobody cares about that you've got some professional football that matters early September and also high school football starting on September the 6th not August a little bit unusual but honestly myself Ben Love we Love it like it's McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Hopefully, you're having a great Saturday morning. Nonetheless, the Arco Equipment Hotline it's gonna be open for a little bit, so you can chat us up right now at three three seven seven zero six zero one 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 three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. If you want to get in on the action and change the discussion to whatever you want to talk about, but of course, I think I know what all of Acadiana wants to talk about. That is what's going on with Big Mike, and I'm talking about. Mike Thomas, what's going on with his contract details? As of right now, I have not seen anything that says outright that Michael Thomas is getting paid $100 million over five years. Again, this could be something you're waiting on to see what happens with Julio Jones because Julio Jones, I thought it'd be as my head hit the pillow late Friday night slash Saturday morning, we would have seen an announcement about the Atlanta Falcons wide receiver getting an extension because that's what this is all about. At least to me and most everybody that I've heard has said this. It's all about what's going to happen with Mike Thomas and his contract negotiations. It's a lot has to do with what's going on with Julio Jones because of the fact that this guy's getting paid 100, could be very well getting paid $20 million a year. If you're the Saints, you got to follow that up with 20.1 million what have you because I got that's all I got to say on that it's just a long long story that will probably wind up getting a resolution I hope by the end of the weekend because I feel like it should be one after the other because to me and everybody else I've kind of followed and kept an eye on they're saying the same thing the Julio Jones deal should kind of be a handshake agreement it's in place by the end of today I think we'll wind up seeing that deal 
take place, and then maybe Sunday night, Mike Thomas signs the dotted line, and he joins training camp and only has to pay, I believe, eighty thousand dollars for the first two days. I'm not sure if they'll if it'll be for day three. I'm not hundred percent sure on that. But if if it is the three days and it's one hundred twenty thousand dollars worth of fines, he's going to have to pay because forty grand each and every day. But of course, that's not the only thing what's worth talking about. But that's definitely the biggest headline, without a doubt, outside of a big dog in Jaquel and Roy, the top defensive ta- defensive lineman in all of Louisiana for the class of twenty twenty, committing or should I say recommitting to LSU. He committed there a while back, decommitted, wanted to see what else was out there. And he felt like he was right at home with LSU. And that's a huge get for the Tigers considering who he was up, who else he was looking at in terms of the recruiting battle. And that was obviously Alabama and Texas A&M, two of the biggest rivals from that aspect in the recruiting game, especially now that Jimbo Fisher is at the helm of Texas A&M. But, hey, like I said, call me up. Let me know what you want to talk about. But before we do any of that, we got to get things going. We delayed it a little bit too long, but guess what? It is the weekend, everybody, and it's time to find out what's on tap this weekend. The weekend is finally upon us. Oh, hell yeah! Pull up a bar stool and let's get you informed about what's on tap right now. Talking season, it is officially over, and it's time for the pads to be put on. And that means we're that much closer to a brand new NFL season. Yes, you hear me right. Training camp is underway across the country, and I'm absolutely loving it. Of course, it's not what everyone is wanting to talk about. What's going on in actual training camp? Like Eric McCoy, Nick Eason, that battle, it's everything about the holdouts. Holdouts, holdouts, holdouts. That's one of the big things coming out of day number one. Of course, I want to get to Ezekiel Elliott. I talked about Michael Thomas a little bit large because I think that's definitely the biggest headline of them all, but I'm going to dive more into Zeke Elliott and Melvin Gordon, but first, I want to stick with Zeke, because I think he's more of an interesting case study, and I'll tell you why. You look at the history of Jerry Jones and how he has run the Dallas Cowboys over the years, if you don't play nice with him, you can be getting run. Ask Jimmy Johnson about that, about how, because basically Jerry Jones put it best on, thank, I gotta give credit to SB Nation for bringing this up. They did a cool video breaking down the collapse of the Cowboys franchise with Jerry Jones hiring Jimmy Johnson and then later on firing him because he feels like any coach could do what he did. Any player could do what Zeke Elliott did in the mind of, of Jarrett. And I think Jarrett is a guy that definitely has a little bit of that mentality. And I wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't do any, any favors with some of the off-the-field transgressions that we've seen with Zeke Elliott in the past, that is going to wind up blooming large in contract negotiations because do you want a guy who doesn't necessarily have his act 100% together? Or do you want a guy that's going to be reliable both on the field and off the field? That's one of the biggest things as a fan and as a person who wants to see people succeed and do, do the right thing. This is the way that it needs to be handled. And again, Jones, the biggest question is if Jones is as egotistical as a Vince McMahon type as he's made out to be in the media and many others have portrayed him to be. It's something you need to monitor over the next like couple weeks. But moving over, we gotta talk we gotta hear from the architect of America's team talking about his star running back not showing up to camp. And here he is talking about that. 
We have officially reported, and uh, so he's a non-report officially, and all uh, of the mechanisms that are in place uh, with uh, uh, your collective bargaining agreements, uh, structurally under the contract, everything is in place and addressed if you're not where uh, you contracted to be. So he's late. Mechanism? That's a weird statement there, Jarrah. But honestly, I have to agree with it. It's, it's, just, it's just factual at this point. Whenever you look at what's going on with the Ezekiel Elliott situation, of course, another big one. Melvin Gordon, the Los Angeles Chargers running back, he's holding out. But I feel like that one's going to be a lot more long-term. The expectations are, the reports coming out, saying that much of the same. You're going to wind up having this go on for into the regular season, and that could wind up hurting the Los Angeles Chargers. So anybody who's about to draft fantasy teams, I'd, I'd recommend not getting Melvin Gordon. You save that for the waiver wire because I, you don't know if he's going to show up to start the regular season or not. I'd, I'd bet against it. Then again, I'm a guy that would love to pick up Melvin Gordon any given time and pick him off the waiver wire. Wouldn't, wouldn't be half bad. But, of course, the biggest thing in this area, this neck of the woods, is the New Orleans Saints. And they actually wound up starting training camp yesterday without Michael Thomas, who didn't report on Thursday. Again, it's all about the $100 million man. Can he get that money? Saints reportedly have offered him in the range of 18 to $19 million. Something just to kind of look at. And that's going to be something just that's going to be go, hopefully clearing up as the day progresses because, again, it's all about, to me, what's going on with your boy, Julio Jones, in Atlanta. What happens with him? But, of course, here's Drew Brees, the, the man who throws these incredible passes to Mike Thomas with incredible accuracy, mind you. And talk about Mike Thomas holding out. I work with him this summer, um, but uh, I haven't, haven't spoken to him within the last few days. Contract is, is part of this game, our contract negotiations, and so uh, we'll let this play out. But confident that uh, there'll be an agreement reached at some point, and when there will, when, when there does, then then he'll be back and we'll be ready to roll. It's going to be fun to see what goes down for the New Orleans Saints in training camp with Mike Thomas. Hopefully by the end of the weekend, that's where I'm at. Hopefully by the end of this weekend, we find out who's on top and who's going to wind up doing the big things. And of course, when you look at this, it's just. Is more the fact that you need to pay this man his money. And I think also you want to want to treat him right and making sure he's the highest paid wide receiver and not Julio Jones. So they're I feel like they're waiting for that and then that'll be the next shoe to drop. And then moving over, another big thing going on this weekend and probably gonna be something to monitor over the next few days is the trade deadline. We're getting closer and closer towards the MLB trade deadline. Everybody's waiting for a football season, but MLB has one more shot to kick up, one more trick up its sleeve to kind of kick the momentum going forward with them because they've had one hell of a season this past Tuesday. It's probably some of the best baseball I've seen all year long in a long time. Just all around, all 30 teams had phenomenal moments, but the trade deadline is looming large July 31st into the wee hours, and we're going to be keeping an eye on it, see what's going on from that aspect. But the biggest name is... Thor, he's getting kicked out of Asgard after Odin has ruled that he isn't worthy to be the king of the kingdom and is taking... Oh, wait, sorry. That's the plot to the first movie of Thor. I'm talking about, of course, Noah Syndergaard. What I meant to say was that. It's basically Noah Syndergaard moved at the deadline, but the big question is where? I hope it's not the Astros. If there's one player 
the Astros absolutely need to focus their efforts on. It's Marcus Stroman. Mad Bum is out of the question, largely because the Giants have all but said he is off limits. He won't be traded, largely because the Giants actually kind of come out a little bit better off this season than many have expected. If the Astros make any move, it's for a starting pitcher to bolster the ranks that is largely held up by Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander. Garrett Cole starting night, by the way. Jose Arquini looked good, but of course your bullpen kind of screwed it up. Ryan Presley didn't even want to talk to the media post game. I'm like, come on, dude, just take your lumps. You screwed it up. Allowing that three-run home run by Paul Goldschmidt. By the way, Paul Goldschmidt is the absolute man. It's, it's just amazing to see what he's been able to do so quickly and really showing himself off in that aspect. Been a, been a key cog in the St. Louis Cardinals' performances as of late, but of course... This is the big thing that you need to do. The trade market is relatively quiet, but there needs to be a distinct focus towards getting a guy like a Noah Syndergaard in the not-too-distant future. That's the big thing. Hopefully that happens. If not, it is what it is. And finally, the big one of the other big things going on this weekend is UFC 240. It's not necessarily as big as International Fight Week. It's not as big as UFC 241, but it's still a solid enough card to garner some interest, especially with the top two matches on the card. And that is, you've got the main event, obviously, Max Holloway, Frankie Edgar, the main event, a title fight, definitely something just to kind of whet the appetite. That's going to be a really good quality fight, and I can't wait to see that later on tonight. But, of course, the second biggest fight is Chris Cyborg, Taking on Felicia Spencer, a second biggest fight, largely because Cyborg is looking to bounce back from her first ever loss by knockout and second ever loss, period. It's amazing to think that Chris Cyborg has only suffered two losses in her UFC career. Sure, there's a no contest sprinkled in there, but we don't talk about that because that was actually originally a win. But the fact that Chris Cyborg only has two losses on her career, not getting any younger. She needs to win this one to stay relevant in the women's featherweight rankings to try and get a rematch for the women's featherweight title. Outside of, outside of that, the card, again, does not have as much kick to it as you would like and compared to what we're going to get in a few weeks' time with DC and Stipe Miocic and what's going to go on in that fight, I cannot. That's going to be just an awesome card all the way around. I was looking at DC Miocic 2, the main event, UFC 241. We'll have some details about that a little bit later. It's a nice appetizer, though, for the, though for those who aren't necessarily as big into the fight game as me or my guy playing Henry or a lot of other people. But UFC 240, it's something you can kind of just whet your appetite with if you love the fight game and you enjoy a lot of it. But, of course, we got a lot of other things to talk about, especially when it comes to training camp. LSU training camp is about to get started next Thursday when they report on August the 1st. And we're going to have Brooks Cabino on of The Advocate to talk about, the, give us a preview of what's going on, what's going to happen with LSU training camp, key position battles to keep an eye on, and a whole lot more. 11-15, we're going to have on a new guest to my program, who definitely joins a lot of the other programs when needed. And this one is absolutely needed. It is a Billy Inbody Go 24-7 Sports. We're going to talk with him about Jaqueline and Roy committing to LSU. Talked about that being the biggest headline of the day, I definitely have to agree with that statement. 
What was it like being there? How big of a commitment is this? What's next for LSU? Who's the next one to drop? Because this is definitely probably one of the last big ones. This is number 23, if I'm not mistaken, for LSU commits. And we're almost in August, and we're already at 23. I believe it's 26, the max. I could be wrong. But I know I'll ask our guy Billy and Body about that and a whole lot more. It is a lot of fun to kind of kick the conversation his way. And then at 1130, you know what time it is. It is time to bring on our guy, Ross Jackson. All Saints get considered locked on Saints podcast, Saints training camp, Mike Thomas. Ziggy Hood, what's this guy like? The the center battle, What is how is that going so far? A lot of interesting things to talk about and a whole lot more. We'll talk about it all right here on 103.7 The Game over the next, I'd say, like almost 90 minutes because I wound up taking it all the way up to a certain point. Now we got to take a quick commercial break. And we'll be back with a whole lot more. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah. On 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here in Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And, of course, having a little fun here on a Saturday afternoon. I love doing rankings. And when I, I have a little bit of time before I go on with, before I have Brooks Cabina join the program, why not talk a little bit about the Houston Astros? Obviously, lost to the Cardinals. I'll give you a lot more detail into that in just a little bit. When it comes to rounding the bases to end up our number one. But of course, we need to talk about something else, and that is the Astros rivalries, in my opinion, which ones are the absolute best. And again, this is going to probably drop some controversy. I don't love stirring the pot a little bit. So why not do that right about now? Because I'm ranking the Astros rivalries, of course. This is all my opinion. Take it how you want. And of course, this is coming from a younger guy who doesn't necessarily have as much of a a history of the of the game as opposed to some other people. But I am a man that loves to just analyze these kind of things. I love doing this stuff. So why not dive into it and start things off? I think top of the list, without a shadow of a doubt, it has to be. It just it just has to be this play in particular. It's the St. Louis Cardinals. How can it not be the St. Louis Cardinals? It's just an easy target. And how can it not be Whenever this happened in the NLCS Game 5. Oh, on to Pools. In the air left field, and Pools has given St. Louis the lead. A dramatic, towering three-run home run. Stunned in disbelief here in Houston. How can you not bring that one up immediately about the St. Louis Cardinals and the Astros rivalry? It is still one of the rivalries that I'm just outright bitter about. I, I still will. I will probably never get over that. A lot like me and many other Saints fans will probably never get over the Nola no call back in January. 
It's just something that, that'll never be taken away from my mind, and that's why the St. Louis Cardinals are at the top of the list in terms of rivalries. Second place, it's got to go to the Texas Rangers. In-state foe, it's definitely been a dominant rivalry in favor of the Houston Astros, a lot like what we've seen with LSU-Alabama, how that has shifted over towards Alabama and significantly all Alabama. Hopefully that changes this season. But again, the Texas Rangers always act like they're a little better than us, and it's an in-state rivalry, and it's escalated since they've moved over to the AL West, and that was a big reason why the Astros underwhelmed the first couple years in there. Thankfully, the process was trusted, and they wound up making a lot of waves. Thank you, AJ Hinch. Thank you, Jeff Ludow. Thank you, everybody who's kind of made that a bigger deal than ever. I mean, the Astros are the big dogs. They're big reason why we're Acadiana's number one sports station. But, of course, I gave out the bronze medal. This was going to be a little bit different here. Third place for me, number three, the Atlanta Braves. And it started because in the early days of the Astros, like Killer Bees, the prototypes, if you will, when you had your Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, I think Berkman joined on a couple years later. But in the early 2000s, when the Astros started to kind of build momentum and were able to take over what was going on in the world of Major League Baseball and be able to be relevant in the postseason, the Braves always were the gatekeeper in my mind. And again, maybe this is also personal bias because I just was never as big of a fan of the Braves as a lot of other people were, especially in the 90s, largely because it was over-saturation every single time you turned on the Superstation they were on TV. And it's just weird to think about when it comes to the Braves. Just over-saturation for me for the Atlanta Braves on the Superstation that always kind of turned me off. And I, then again, I only watch like TBS for a few things, and the Atlanta Braves network was not one of them. I'm sorry, Braves fans. It's not a fan of them. I definitely think it's a it's a rivalry, but not as big of a rivalry. Just talking about all time, or better yet, in my lifetime, that's a rivalry. But more recently, I got to go number four. It is got to be the Boston Red Sox. That that is definitely a rivalry, especially now that Alex Cora, former bench coach for the Houston Astros, is now a head is now the manager for those Red Sox defending World Series champs. Somehow, some way, that thing wound up going off the rails real quick, but things are starting to get back into the right direction, and it seems like they're going to wind up getting into the postseason. But, of course, it's all about what happens with the Tampa Bay Rays. Do they fall apart late, or who else is going to fall apart late to make sure you get that opportunity to be that second wild card spot? That's the million-dollar question. But, of course, we got to take a quick commercial break. We'll be back with a whole lot more, including Brooks Cabina talking a little... LSU training camp preview, big storylines, the $28 million football facility, and a whole lot more. You're listening to the Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Who blasted three home. The famous CD is a five tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. You're Manchester United, suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game.
Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com and LSU Training Camp. It's going to be getting jump started on August the 1st. Yes, Jeremy Wright, we're getting that much closer to the start of the 2019 season when they take on the Georgia Southern Eagles. That's going to be on August 31st. Of course, everybody's going to talk about the Week 2 matchup with LSU taking on Texas. Give me some cool details about that in just a little bit. But, of course, we move over to the Art Co-Equipment Hotline to get a preview of what's going to be going down at training camp. Of course, we'll also talk about that really nice facility they have. And to do that, we're going to talk with our guy, Brooks Cabina of The Advocate. What is going on, my good brother? Hey, Clint. Just taking it easy, man. Saturday morning. Oh, yeah. Wonderful Saturday morning. Honestly, it's the calm before the storm when you really think about it with LSU training camp getting started. Before we kind of get into that, I think we need to flip it over to what happened last night, and that is Jaquelin Roy committing to LSU. And When you look at the class of 2020, this is probably one of the biggest ones they racked up this year, especially when it comes to picking up the top player in the state of Louisiana. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is something that has been a key point of emphasis for Ed Ogeron ever since the Alabama game and even prior to that. I mean, he's wanted to bulk up the defensive line. He's been very vocal about that from the start of the spring also. And, um, you know, there was a stretch in June, um, you know, late. You know, there's a week where there was three defensive tackles uh, committing back-to-back-to-back in three days. And uh, Jack Monroy is the, the biggest one of that group. I mean, he's a – Top 50 player in uh, 247 sports rankings, and he's, uh, he's 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 the biggest guy they've got so far on the defensive line in, in terms of of, uh, of talent um, as far as the commitment goes. And it's one that they lost before back in February, if you remember, he decommitted and then went back and uh, started recruiting again and went and put Texas A&M in his top three as well as Alabama and uh, ended up choosing LSU again as a commitment. We'll see if he sticks through and signs with LSU and if so that's, that's that's a big point of emphasis for the team and um, you know that they're really making a point to do I think one of the things also to know is you know with nine defensive linemen committed that's more than anybody has signed at LSU since at least 2000 there were two times when there were seven guys and uh, uh, you know that's that's that shows you exactly what kind of commitment LSU's made in picking up these defensive linemen Talk right now with Brooks Cabina of The Advocate, of course. Now we're going to move over to a little bit of training camp discussion because I think there's a lot of big things to just look at. And, of course, we'll start more from a local perspective over here in Acadiana. That is Tyler Shelvin, myself and Ben Love, we talked about a lot, how important this training camp is for Tyler Shelvin. Are you in agreement with that? And what are your expectations for Shelvin? Can he be able to step his game up to be more of a consistent player on the defensive line? was high on Shelvin at the end of the spring and as you remember he was neck and neck for the starting job with a true freshman Siaki Apuaika yep. who played really well in the spring game um, and he had two sacks and three tackles for loss in that but uh, Ogeron said behind uh, the scenes and practices and the scrimmage they had Shelvin was also performing so that's that's one of the biggest things going into this camp is is Shelvin going to get pushed by this true freshman and you know they like the competition. They like they, and they seem to believe that nose tackle is going to get improved yeah. just because of that uh, going into this season. You know, Shelvin's a guy that um, has played a little bit last year, and um, he's starting to get more uh, um, 
mature in his in his knowledge of the game, but also his his physicality. I mean, he's a guy that they've wanted to slim down from the beginning, and he's 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 a big dude who can take up a lot of space. And you know, it seems like he's getting on track nutrition wise and ready and um, and, and and physically ready for for what they've got prepared for him going into the spring. So I mean, into the into the preseason here, and uh, you know, that's that's one of the biggest keys to the defense right now is how how will that nose tackle be used in Aranda wants to create one-on-ones by shifting around some of the schematics. So is Shelvin going to be a guy who's going to be aggressive enough to take advantage of those, or will that be something they eventually give to Apu? So that that's a big thing to look for in this preseason. It's interesting to see there. And you brought up Dave Aranda. Dave Aranda actually want to make a little cameo over at New Orleans Saints training camp day yes, number two underway. Mind you, now it's, now it's under cover of darkness. They wound up having to move it indoors but my question to you is, when you just think about it, Joe Brady, now the offensive analyst, I guess you would put it, for LSU alongside Steve Insman, you're going to see a new look offense. When you look at that and you also look at kind of, it seems like the relationship between LSU and the Saints has changed dramatically in the last couple of years now that Les Miles is out the door. At least that's from my perspective. Well, I don't know how much it has to do with Les Miles, but Ed Ogeron was an assistant coach there yep. back in the late 2000s. Uh, he coached defensive line. He had a lot of relationships there. Uh, Greg McMahon also has relationships there. He used to coach special teams there before he got at LSU. So, you know, the ties are there more than I think they were before. I think that's most of what she had to do with it. Um, but, yeah, Joe Brady was there today as well. And, obviously, he was a former um, offensive assistant there. So there's plenty of uh, back and forth between them. I mean, they both kind of share information between each other in the two leagues. So, you know, I think that's really mostly what that has to do with it. It's all right now with Brooks Cabina of the Advocate moving over. We got to kind of we talked to the defense. Might as well just jump over towards the offensive side of the football, and more, more considering what's with Tyler Shelvin relating to it. Which player kind of has to step up in a big w- way in training camp to really try and make an impact for the 2019 season? On the defensive side, I would I would think that you would you would really be looking at nose tackle for sure uh, with Shelvin and. Um, I could to see what they can do because that's such a major part of what they're trying to do on the defensive line. And uh, We just got done talking about Jacqueline Roy. It's the major emphasis of improvement for the defense. But uh, I think one of the other places that you really see a battle unfolding and what they really want people stepped up is at inside linebacker. So Michael Divinity moved from outside to the inside during the spring, as you've probably been following along. Um, but, you know, Jacob Phillips and Patrick Queen are also there. And uh, Queen... You know, it's it's interesting. He was he was uh, all all three of those guys, or you know, Queen and Phillips were put into the uh, um, watch list for uh, linebacker of the year. So Queen is didn't even go into the off season with the starting position. So you know, that they're going to be pushing for each other to see you know, where do these guys end up on the field. So to me, that's really one of the biggest questions about the preseason on defense is. How are all these pieces going to be shifted around? Dave Aranda, who loves to tinker with schematics, he's not a big traditional guy who's, who's trying to keep guys just in a 4-3 or 3-4 or whatever else. So he's got enough linebackers to work with, and I mean, even on the safety's end. So Grant Delpit and Jacoby Stevens you know, seem to be the guys that are going to be playing mostly at uh, strong safety and quarters and but he's still got Todd Harris and Eric Monroe and, you know, brought in that freshman Marcel Brooks, who's a five-star and complete talent. You know, where are all these guys going to end up? And I think this is one of the better defenses just 
as far as secondary goes uh, that Iran has been able to tinker with. So who knows what this is going to look like coming out of camp whenever they uh, start off with Georgia Southern. Talk right now with Brooks Cabina of the Advocate and flipping over to the offensive side of the football. Who do you think needs to step up the most from that aspect? So we've talked a lot, you and I, about offensive line, and it's still an issue. Um, right tackle has not yet been uh, won. Austin Deculus, who moved from guard to right tackle because of injuries last year, uh, was starting there during the spring, but he was getting pushed by the Dare Traor, the Juco transfer last year, who um, didn't really transition into the big part of the game. He's still he's still uh, battling Deculus, and if those two don't uh, take a major hold on right tackle, it's going to be interesting what LSU is going to have to do. I mean, they may even be forced to play Anthony Bradford, the Michigan uh, signee, as a true freshman, and he just showed, he just joined the team in June. So, you know, that right tackle spot needs to get locked down for LSU, but also left guard. Um, you know, Garrett Brumfield went on to the NFL, and you know, there's still a spot there that's that's left, and Chase and Hines who played behind him and had some starts there last season, he missed all of the spring with an off-season surgery. So what's a left guard going to look like? You know, Ed Ogeron said that you know, he liked Hines at that position, even though Adrian McGee, who flipped to left guard during the spring, played most of the spring. Um, so that tells you that left guard and right tackle really have not been established. And that those are major pieces of the offensive line. And uh, you know, the others are – pretty much well accounted for and pretty strong. Um, I'll add, too, Lloyd Cushenberry and Damian Lewis, center and right guard, probably as good as any you're going to see in the conference. And left tackle has been consistent. Sadiq Charles is going to be a third-year starter as a junior. So he'll he'll mature and um, he'll need to improve. He started a little bit last year as well, but he at least has played the game consistently, and he'll see there. So the offensive line is just one of those biggest things that uh, they'll need to get stepped up this preseason. I'd have to agree with you. That's definitely one of the biggest things. And, of course, the biggest thing coming out of this week is the amazing facility that LSU has put together. Everybody and their mama has has been talking about this since Monday. And you actually got to be part of that tour and check out what's going on and what it looks like. Does this thing live up to the hype in person? Because I've seen videos, and it looks great. But in person, what's it like? Yeah, no, it definitely holds up. And, I mean, walking through those – so I actually got a chance to sit in one of those pods and pull it out, lay down. I could fall asleep in that. I mean, I think that was a big debate. Like, oh, well, they actually sleep in these. Heck, yeah. I almost fell asleep there. And I was only sitting there for like two <laughs> seconds. I was tired. But, uh, you know, it really is impressive. And But the other part of it is that you could tell that it was practical. I mean, um, so – Walking in, walking in from where the players come in from practice, you know, one of the questions I had, well, won't, won't the locker room get stinky? I mean, you bring in a bunch of, you know, pads and cleats and whatnot, and there's this room called the mud room where they come in and they'll just hand and stack up all their shoulder pads and everything before they even get to what I guess is now called the pod room instead of a locker room. And, you know, that's where they, you know, take their showers and get prepared and get a chance to sleep. I think the most impressive thing out of the entire facility was something called the walkthrough room. It's right at the front, and I can just see Dave Aranda, you know, a guy who's known for his tinkering and teaching, uh, utilizing this space a lot. It's 50 feet wide, 12 feet tall, and it's a big projector on a wall that basically shows 
what's what, what's a lot like Madden. Uh, I've got a story on it back in the Advocate archives if y'all want to take a look at it, but it's basically showing a simulation of plays that you can, as a coach, program to show anything. And it's life-size, and the players stand there, and they can walk through anything right right from like watching our film. They can step there and say, all right, you know what we just saw? Here's what it's like. All right, call the play out. Here, shift over this way. You know, run out the play as the way that you would need to. And then they can take that and transition that to the practice field, and boom. See, I'm a big TK learner, which means I need to do something in order to learn it. And I think a lot of uh, people are. And that just adds another element to it. And that was one of the most impressive things in this facility. So, yeah, I mean, it held up to all the hype that was on Twitter. And obviously, um, you know, there's a lot of practical uses for what LSU will use come, come this season. The way you're wording this is immediately, and this is me just nerding out for a moment, it's making me immediately think of the danger room in the X-Men. You know what I'm saying? Just the, the giant yeah. simulation room. Well, it's not, you know, fully interactive. Oh, I mean, obviously. obviously. It's on a wall. But uh, still, just, yeah, I mean, it is one of those things where you geek out as well. Like, I'm a big tech guy, too. I've written some stories just based on those kind of things because LSU tends to be pretty progressive in those kind of areas. Uh, but, yeah, no, it was it was pretty sick looking at it. All right, man, that was, that was some awesome stuff. Can't thank you enough for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road because next thing you know, football season will be officially in full effect. Talking season largely now over. All right, that was a Brooks Cabina. You can follow him on Twitter at bcabina. I'd recommend you follow him if you love LSU. This dude knows what he's doing in his second year. Absolutely loved having him on. Right, right as he joined the beat for LSU football after Delhi left, but he's definitely filled that void and then some. But again, just the fact we're talking about LSU and X Men, it's an interesting crossover. Maybe not ambitious. But it's an interesting one and nonetheless worth talking about. We're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break. We'll be back with a whole lot more right after this on Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game and 1037TheGame.com. It's time, and it is time, to talk some baseball. We're rounding the bases next. Allowing this three-run home run to go by him. Breaking ball, and that's hit a mile high and deep to left center. Springer is back at the wall. He leaps, and it's gone. A three-run home run for Paul Goldschmidt. Homers for the fifth consecutive game, and the Cardinals take the lead. They're up 5-3. to three. Ryan Presley... He's a really good player, don't get me wrong, but, man, it was just such a bad look for him to allow that big-time home run. Played the ball game when the Astros had tied it up and didn't want to taking a 3-2 lead, and then a three-run home run changed it all. Hopefully the Astros can bounce back later tonight. Carlos Correa finally back on the diamond after being laid up on the massage table after allegedly breaking his rib while receiving a massage. Again, he used the word allegedly, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Meanwhile, you look over at the NL, you had the Cubbies take on the Brew Crew, and the Milwaukee Brewers pulled away with a 3-2 win over the Cubbies. And a lot of that has to do with his two-run single from Ben Gamble. Scope again. Here he comes. Gamble sends one in the right center base 
Nice hit by Ben Gamble. It is 3-2 Brewers on a single right center. Meanwhile, Cody Schutz cries a tear in his beer after the Cubbies lost to the Milwaukee Brewers. The Brew Crew looking really good this season. A lot of that obviously has to do with the man himself, Christian Yelich. Moving over to Cleveland, the Indians looked dominant thanks to this Jose Ramirez home run as they kind of destroyed the KC Royals 8-3. He delivers, and it's swung out and blasted to deep right. Hawaii back way gone over the bullpen and into the seats and Jose Ramirez with his fifth home run against Kansas City here in 2019 it's amazing to see what's going on with the Cleveland Indians it's weird not hearing Bob Euchre doing play-by-play commentary killer drop in money that broadcasting school is really paying off meanwhile last but certainly not least the Boston Red Sox were crushing it, and a lot of that has to do with one Mookie Betts. 3-1 pitch, hit in the air, high and deep to left. Way back and gone. Third home run of the night for Mookie Betts. Third in as many at-bats. He has driven in four runs. And the Red Sox capitalize on the two-out error with two more and lead 7 to nothing. He was not done, though. He wound up putting up a couple more runs. 10-5, to five, the Yankees lose the opener to the Boston Red Sox. Those Bo Sox starting to look good. Again, like I said, they could wind up turning things around late in the season, and we get to see them in the postseason probably as a wild card because, again, it's going to be tough to overcome that early struggle they had. Going to take a quick commercial break. Hour two coming up next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7 thegamecom This is Acadiana Sports Station. 103.7 The Game and 103.7 thegamecom Connect on Facebook or follow on Twitter at 103.7 The Game. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. Hour number two of two is now underway right here on the Gadiana Sports Station. 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game at dot com. Live as always. We're inside of the 237 Roof Studios. Baby, we're looking good. Woo! Absolutely love it. Because guess what? It is time to kind of talk about some other different things. Of course, the big topics that you can get in on or anything else you want to get in on is obviously the Mike Thomas situation. We are officially on the cusp of training camp for LSU, the Raging Cajuns. And talking season is starting to kind of come to an end. Now it's time 
for them to put on the pads, and we're going to hear them start popping, and that means one thing. Time to talk some football. That's a wonderful thing for me because, honestly, I love talking it, and I'm sure you love listening to it. The Arco Equipment Hotline is open, 337-706-0111, and hopefully you're enjoying yourself a wonderful Saturday morning. You're just kicking your feet up, you know, enjoying the show. And if you're, if you're driving, of course, don't kick your feet up. That wouldn't be very good. But make sure you listen in because we got a lot to talk about. And we're going to do something a little different here, of course. If you want to jump in, I will gladly stop the conversation that I'm having with myself, and hopefully you're listening in and enjoying it, to change it up and do things that you want to talk about. And talk about the things you want to talk about. Because guess what? It is your show. 11.15, we're going to have Billy Embody on to talk about what's going on with Jaquel and Roy, the commitment last night. Also, what's next for LSU, how big the commitment is, and a whole lot more. But, of course, I want to do something a lot like like what I did last week. Last week, I gave you my detailed predictions for the SEC when it comes to Offensive Player of the Year, defense, your all-SEC offense, your defense. I gave you my rankings for all that and also the projected order of finish in my mind. And I feel like a lot of people were probably in agreement with that. I didn't get a whole lot of hate on the internet for it. So I'm going to do the same thing here when it comes to the Sunbelt Conference, because that's another conference that matters to us here on 103.7 The Game, with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, of course. We're getting that much closer to their start of training camp, so why not start it up and talk about my thoughts on the projected order of finish for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. We're going to start things off. In the West, of course, we got to start there. That's where the Cajuns are. And I'm going to say this. I like the fact that everybody in the Sun Belt was in agreement that the Cajuns were the best team in the West. It's a bold prediction. But I will say this. This is the one caveat to this, and this is the biggest reason why I have it this way. In the Sun Belt West division, my prediction is, Arkansas State wins the West. Louisiana, the Rage of Cajuns, finished second. Now, why am I going that route? I'll explain to you right now. I would love to see the Louisiana Rage of Cajuns back in it to compete for the ten, for the ten pounds of gold. It's easier said than done. And a big reason why? Look at the schedule. You got Mississippi State, Ohio. Ohio is not a guarantee. You got Arkansas State, App State, Troy again this year. You got all three. Of the big bads, you got the Hydra of the Sunbelt Conference once again. The big difference is you've got Arkansas State on the road in Jonesboro, Arkansas. We talked with Kara Ritchie last week. The history of this series tells you something else. Now, what is that something else? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It is how that series has gone. It's something I've talked about a lot when it comes to LSU and Mississippi State, now that could change this year because of the fact that Mississippi State, second year under Joe Moorhead, I think we'll see a dip. But you look at the series since 2015, and there is a very, very clear trend. Better yet, since 2014, basically since I've been in the media, you'll see something 
all too clear, and that is what we call a pattern, my friends. Over the last five years, whoever's been the home team has won it. You heard me right. Whoever's the home team has won that game, and a lot of them have been hotly contested, highly controversial. 2016 is definitely one of those that I think Arkansas still believes that they deserve to win. Trust me, they didn't. And of course, there's been some moments like a 55 to 40 win in 2014 for the Cajuns and a 47 to 3 win in 2017. Last year was a highly entertaining game, probably one of the best all around games the Cajuns had last year, and were able to come away with the win over Arkansas State 47 43 in the waning moments. I don't expect the same thing to happen this year. I think because of the fact, again, I'm just largely going off of history here. Arkansas State wins the conference because they beat the Louisiana Ragin Cajuns. The Cajuns can wind up controlling their own fate because I think they can beat ULM this year. I think they can because of the fact that you are able to really start implementing your offense to a certain point. You have guys like a Bam Jackson. You have a lot of returning wide receivers. You have a lot of returning wide receiver depth. You have a solid tight end. You're able to kind of work your room a certain way. Your offense is going to wind up looking a little bit different. Of course, it's all about Levi Lewis. Because Levi Lewis, it's just always going to be a big thing for me. Levi Lewis is a dual threat. Dual threat works if he has a true dual threat. I feel like, to me, Levi Lewis hasn't shown us as much that he can be the other side of that dual threat. He's more of a scramble guy. Whenever he's under pressure... He turns on them Jets, and when he turns on the Jets, it's great. But I want to see more from our starting quarterback based on what we've seen in the spring game. He looked good, but can he continue to look good against the elite, the the elite of college football and also of the Sun Belt Conference? They're opening up the season against Mississippi State. If we don't see him perform at the level we expect him to be, if he just completely – C-Raps the bed, it's not going to look good for the rest of the year in my book. But, again, I got the Louisiana Raging Cajuns finishing second. That might be a little homerism, but I think that's the way it goes. Third place, I got to go with the Warhawks, the UL Monroe. I feel like that's the way this is going to wind up going. Largely because UL Monroe, they're going to dip a little bit in my mind. Will they be seller to winners? No, they're in the middle of the pack in my book. They're number three. They're, they're the bronze medal of the West Division, which is getting a little bit better. Finishing fourth, I got to go South Alabama. South Alabama has been a consistently inconsistent team, but I think they're going to start making strides towards success. And that's going to be kind of them taking the baby steps because you got to run before you, you got to crawl before you walk and walk before you can run. And then they, and this is that step. They're going to take that next step towards being relevant again and being consistently consistent instead of consistently inconsistent. And the final one, dead last, what do you think? Who would have thought? Guess who, guess who won the pony? The Texas State Bobcats. They're at the bottom of my rankings in my mind. They will continue to be and thus they prove me otherwise. Texas State, you are the very, very bottom of my rankings for a very obvious reason because, well, Bobcats, you suck. The East Division is probably the, one of the more interesting ones. And I'm going to upset the apple cart here and say the Troy Trojans. Chip Lindsey 
turns this program into a well-oiled machine on both sides of the football. Yes, you want up having Zach Sawyer jump over to the University of Kentucky. I feel like the thing is, Chip Lindsey is a good offensive mind, and he can wind up working with whoever his starting quarterback is going to be, and that's going to be a big storyline going forward. I feel like that's something you need, you absolutely need to keep an eye on. So Troy Trojans, I got them finishing first. App State right behind them. And again, I am going to kind of upset the apple cart here if you look at some of those preseason projections across the country. I'm going to go with Coastal Carolina finishing third. Yes, Joe Moglia is out. But here's the thing. Coastal Carolina has surprised people. They are getting better. Are they going to wind up being the like kings of the East in the next couple of years? I don't necessarily know but they still have some potential. They've got some room to grow. I feel like they're number three in the Sunbelt Conference. Again, a little upsetting the apple cart. But it is what it is. The East Division is so weird because, it, again, it's not like how the West is where you got three teams that could probably wind up winning that division on any given in any given simulation of the season. In the Cajuns, Arkansas State, and Yule Monroe. For the most part, those three will be somewhere in there. There's a reason why a lot of them have picked in that aspect. And fourth and fifth, I'm going Georgia Southern number four. But again, it won't be far off from where Coastal Carolina is. Georgia State, on the other hand, the Panthers, they're going to be at the bottom of the barrel. And it'll be very, very clear why. And I think Georgia State's head coach is going to be I'm a piece ooting out of there. Because, again, I think he's on the hot seat largely because of what happened, and especially the defensive coordinator. He should be he should already be gone in my mind. I, I'd have to kind of do a little research. But I'm almost certain the defensive coordinator for Georgia State is still there. And that's a disappointment because they wound up just getting absolutely trounced by the Louisiana Raging Cajuns in that game, allowing like 300-plus rushing yards. And you've got the Cajuns running back saying basically they were a basic defense. And then all of a sudden you see – post and I actually tweeted by the way a video of him talking about it and the entire like Georgia State fan base eating it up and have a good old time watching it but again I think Georgia State is at the bottom of the barrel in that aspect largely because of what I saw last year I think you'll see another dip and that guy will be out the door faster than you can say I'm, uh, welcome to Atlanta where the players play. Bottom line, I feel like that's going to be the, one of the big things to look at going forward. But there's a lot of other things to talk about when it comes to the Sunbelt Conference. And again, that's how I'm ranking it. In case you're just tuning in, I'm going to give you the quick rundown. The West Division, I've got Arkansas State, the Raging Cajuns, Yule Monroe, South Alabama, and Texas State. Relatively Cookie cutter, relatively easy to do when you just look at what's going on in the rankings. The East Division, I got Troy. I got App State finishing second. I've got Coastal Carolina finishing third. Fourth is Georgia Southern, and fifth is Georgia State. Bold prediction there, I know. But look at the Sunbelt Conference Championship. Who's going to be hoisting the 10 pounds of gold when it's all said and done? I think it's going to be the Troy Trojans. Chip Lindsey will be the Sunbelt Conference Coach of the Year, and I'm booking it right here, right now. Troy wins, and they win by double digits because that offense is going to really start clicking at that point in time. 
Hopefully I'm right about that. I've definitely been wrong about a lot of things, but definitely this one is going to be interesting. A 10-point win for the Troy Trojans in Troy, Alabama, by the way, because they'll be having home field advantage. Definitely something that I'm looking forward to. And, of course, I'm also looking forward to our next segment. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back with Billy Embody. Here we right, Billy Embody. Go 24-7 sports. We're going to talk to him about Jaqueline Roy committing to the LSU Tigers. You're listening to Acadiana's number one sports station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Let's keep it locked right here. Every time CD takes the mic is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now let's get back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. But, you know, it's been a tough decision, a long ride, and I'm ready to get the process over with. Can you see right here? I'll be committed to LSU. Yeah! Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game. And that was courtesy, once again, of Michael Cobble. Jacqueline Roy made his second pledge, recommitting to the LSU Tigers after decommitting back in the spring. Choose him over Texas A&M and Alabama, one of the best defensive tackles in the country and we're going to talk about that and a whole lot more with Billy Embody. He's on the Arco Equipment Hotline right now. What's going on, man? No, not too much. How are you? I am doing fantastic. It's a wonderful Saturday morning, especially for LSU fans. What can you say about getting Jocelyn Roy to recommit to LSU, considering the two that he, the other two that he was, that LSU was competing against in Texas A&M and Alabama? Oh, it's a huge deal for Fred Ogeron and LSU to get Jocelyn uh, Roy on board. He's obviously one of the best defensive tackles in the country, both from a testing uh, perspective uh, in terms of how you really draw up, how you'd want a defensive lineman to look. He's a perfect fit in their 3-4 or even in a 4-3 if LSU chooses to go 4 down a little bit more like Ed Ozeran has talked about this offseason. To beat out Alabama and Texas A&M, two programs that – from both perspectives had recruiters that were tied into the state of Louisiana and – uh, Bradley Dale Pivato on Texas A&M's end, and then Pete Golding from Alabama's end. Uh, from that perspective alone, it's a big deal. It, it, it shows, once again, I think that Ed Ogeron has done a really nice job shutting down the borders uh, for, for Louisiana. I think it can really set the tone for the rest of this class and kind of how some of these other top-end Louisiana prospects might end up uh, in terms of the LSU-Alabama battles, uh, speaking on Tayshawn Butte, the, the state's number two prospect, and then Jacoby and Guillory, who's a, a fringe top 150 overall prospect um, and, and the state's number two defensive tackle. So that that to get Roy committed for the second time, and I think this time for good, is, is a huge deal. I'd have to agree with you, especially when you just look at what's going on with the national rankings currently, according to 24-7 sports ranked third but again it's just that doesn't speak to the magnitude of it when you just look at the state of louisiana and be able to get 
the big dog of it all after all that they did, especially across the country, definitely a lot more of the West Coast influence to start really working towards the state of Louisiana as we shift towards the month of August. Yeah, and I think Jacoby and Guillory is now the one that people really eye. Uh, more the New Orleans wide receiver is another one that uh, I would I think is getting close to making his college choice uh, from what we've heard. And then uh, Guillory is one where does he actually take it all the way to uh, the, the early signing period, like you said. He's somebody that I think deserves the spotlight for all the work he's put in and certainly for the, the talent that he is. But I don't necessarily know if that's his personality to take it all the way to the early signing period. So maybe LSU and uh, or Alabama, whoever whoever gets him, can get him on board in their class beforehand. Talk right now with Billy and Body Go twenty four seven Sports, and of course, Kayshawn Boutte. You brought him up earlier. He's having a visit on the Alabama campus right now as we speak. Should LSU Tiger fans be concerned about that, or is just him wanting to just visit other campuses? Look, I think anytime you see a prospect making other visits, especially within the SEC, there's certainly concern. Um, Alabama's done a really good job prioritizing Boutte since they saw him in the spring and offered him. Um, I, I think there's there's concern. I, from what I've heard, and, and look, Corey Raymond did a really good job recruiting Keishon Boutte and getting him on board. Uh, he comes from a very pro-LSU area, I would say, in the state. Um, and a lot of signs point to him sticking. It's going to be a long way to go until that that signing period and, and things like that. We'll have to watch more so the visits in the fall uh, if he gets on campus to Alabama for a game or what have you. But I think right now LSU sits in a good spot. Uh, but he's probably the one that I think is going to be the biggest battle down the stretch in terms of in-state prospects for them. Exactly. I'd have to agree with you from that perspective. It's just going to be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of weeks with him and probably a couple of months when you just think about it with the early signing period looming large. But just looking at what's next for LSU, who do you think – you brought up some, brought up one name in particular, but what other names do you think could wind up committing to LSU in the not-too-distant future? I think Coy Moore is the one that, that, that we're watching. Um, he, he's a wide receiver out of New Orleans. He had a really strong spring and summer. Uh, he impressed the coaching staff when he camped for him um, in June and, and worked out privately with them. So I think Coy is the one to watch uh, as of right now. I think Marco Domeo, he's a defensive back out of the junior college ranks. It's kind of been rumored for a long, long time to be, you know, at least silently committed to LSU. So will he go public before his – final season in the junior college ranks will be something you watch i think um those are really the two that stand out to me right now as far as i think are, are closer uh to committing than than not so right now with billy inbody go 24 7 sports and this is just something i've thought about over the last like several days just like a lot of people in the acadian area i've thought about and that is the new facility at lsu and when you look at that and compare it to all the others around the SEC, this is definitely a big recruiting tool. What have you heard from some of the commits and some of the targets about this new facility and if they've checked it out yet and what are their thoughts on it? Yeah, Roy Roy told us last night after his uh, his commitment that it was uh, just unbelievable what he was able to see on his – he actually was by LSU on Thursday afternoon for an unofficial visit if, if there was kind of any doubt going into Friday if he was going to commit. Um, he was on campus and 
he, he was just incredibly impressed. Uh, I spoke with uh, a four-star quarterback, Demetrius Davis, who's a state champion uh, out of Houston North Shore where Caleb on Chasson and Eric Monroe went, uh, and he was very impressed. Uh, he was on campus on Thursday with, with another one of his uh, – with two of his teammates and five-star running back, uh, Zach Evans and, and top 100 athlete uh, Chadwick Banks. Uh, he just said it was unbelievable. I mean, he can he can see kind of the, the uh, both sides of it, right? So it's pretty, it's 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 beautiful, and all those things. But you know, he even talked about the locker room and how important it is to have those little sleeping pods or what have you, uh, where players can kind of take a nap in between fall camp practices and just kind of hang out as well. Billy, thanks so much for coming on, my man, on a Saturday afternoon. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend, brother. You too. Have a good one. All right, that was uh, Billy Embody. You can follow him on Twitter at Billy Embody. Talking a little LSU crouton. Make sure you follow the good brother on there and also check out all the great stuff they have going on at Go 24 7 alongside Shade Dixon and Sonny Ship. They know how to do it and they are just phenomenal at their job. But we're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break. Is when we come back, we'll talk some. Uh, New Orleans Saints football training camp wrapped up day two in the books. We'll hear from Ross Jackson, who talked about, who's going to talk about a lot of different things. We'll get to him next on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037TheGame.com. Looking to get in shape? How about a workout based on science with proven results? Orange Theory Fitness Lafayette. More life. Orange Theory is for everyone. We use real-time tracking during each workout and individual attention from professional trainers. So it's easy to stay motivated and track your progress. So get that heart rate up and boost your metabolism with convenient day and evening classes seven days a week. Ambassador Caffrey at Collie Saloon next to Field and Stream. OrangeTheory.com. More life. Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys are an Now, back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. I was humbled just to, to be, you know, uh, even a, a guy that they felt that can come out here and help with what they already have as some weapons. And so, again, for me, it's just, you know, being the best that I can be so I can go out there, contribute, um, and do whatever I can to, to, you know, to help this team. That was a new New Orleans Saints running back, Latavius Murray. This is Crescent Fresh right there talking a little bit about how humbled he is to be part of this franchise. He's currently at the podium as we speak. Man, to get that in during the break. Because trust me, we are a show that loves to make things as fresh as possible. So hopefully you're enjoying your Saturday morning. I'm live from the 237 Roof Studios right now. I've got a guest on the Arco Equipment Hotline. And you know who this is. This is our good brother, Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, and the Locked on Saints podcast. What is going on, my brother? Oh, man, I'm doing great, brother. Thank you so much for having me back on. Good to talk to you, man. How's everything going for you? It is going fantastic because we are finally that much closer to the start of the 2019 <laughs> season, Ross. It is. It feels like it's been forever, but we are finally back into true football mode. 
But, of course, the biggest thing everybody's talking about is Mike Thomas and his holdout. How long do you think this thing lasts? Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, we've waited so long to get to the NFL season, and the top story that we need to talk about is someone not playing football. Uh, You know, it's kind of one of those things to where – You can't really predict a timetable for it necessarily, but I expect that this is going to be taken care of sooner rather than later. Uh, If you look at the transparency that Coach Payton has had around this entire sort of scenario or this entire event, it's the same type of transparency that he came to the podium with when he actually let everybody know that he was confident that they were working on a Mike Thomas deal in the first place. And then the next day after he mentioned that at his presser, then the Diana Rossini report dropped that they were indeed working on that deal. So, you know, you look at uh, you look at Sean Payton going out there being very optimistic, very transparent, very, you know, with a lot of candor and just talking about the situation and saying he's optimistic that it's going to get done, it's going to get taken care of. Same thing with uh, Mickey Loomis, the GM and EVP. I mean, he's been doing the same thing, talking about it very transparently, very confident about it. So, uh, you know, no hard feelings between the club and the player. They're just trying to get this deal, which is going to be a historic deal. Uh, at least, I mean, you can imagine it's going to be if not, then at least around $20 million per year. He'll be the highest-paid wide receiver in NFL history and first one at that number if they get up to 20. So, you know, I mean, I don't blame him, man. Take your time. And if I'm Michael Thomas, I'm at home wrapped up in bubble wrap. I put the child protections <laughs> back in the in the, the, the uh, light sockets and everything. Like, I'm just making sure nothing happens to me this week. Exactly. I mean, is that, the only thing that's going to happen to him is his Bank account is going to get a little bit lighter, at least temporarily, because he's going to have to pay out those fines. $40,000 yeah. each day he is not reported to camp. Now, does that start from like Wednesday or, or, no, excuse me, Thursday when they reported to camp, or does it start on Friday? It kind of, So it, it, it's a weird situation because there are ways through the – uh, through the CBA that he might actually not be fined. It kind of comes down to conversations with him, the club, and the or I guess his agent, the club, and the NFL. But technically, they could start those fines as early as the reporting day. Okay, I guess I just wasn't 100% sure on that aspect. But of course, now we got to kind of talk about it when we're just thinking about Michael Thomas. How much of this has to do with the Julio Jones deal? Is it just you're waiting for that shoe to drop and then the next day you'll see Thomas gets signed. I think it has a little bit more to do with language in the contract. Guarantees, structure. You know, we know that Mickey Loomis can be a little shifty with his contracts. I mean, you can look at somebody like Nick Easton, who's on a $22.5 million contract, but only $4 million of it is guaranteed. You know, so you can see those kinds. And, of course, they would never do anything like that to Michael Thomas. But just in terms of how that all pays out, because one of the things that Mickey Loomis did say is that they're interested in finding a deal that works for the team, Michael Thomas included. So something that works for Michael Thomas but also works for the Saints in the organization because, you know, they've got another – bunch of re-signs and signings and extensions that are going to come up with Alvin Kamara and eventually Marshawn Lattimore and Ryan Ramchick after their fifth-year option. Sheldon Rankins is going to be up for one. And so there's a lot of these sort of coming down the pipeline that they need to be prepared for. So I think it has a lot more to do with structure than it has to do with anything else. I think that the Saints, for them, the best interest is to get this done as soon as possible. That way, when the Julio, you know, when the Julio Jones extension comes through, when the uh, Amari Cooper extension comes through, or whatever happens with Tyreek Hill, somehow or another, that those things don't affect the negotiations and end up forcing one side into doing something that it doesn't want to do. Talk right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, and the Locked on Saints podcast. And, of course, now we're going to talk 
what really matters to us, and that is what's going on in the world of the New Orleans Saints and what's going on at training camp day two in the books. Currently, Jared Cook at the podium. Can't necessarily pull the rabbit out of my hat again and get that sound instantaneously for you, but it's a little easier said than done whenever you're just one person running the entire darn thing. That being said, though, Ross, that being said, first two days of camp, who has surprised you the most in your mind? Oh, who has surprised me the most? Yeah. Um, I'm going to give a little shout-out to Emmanuel Butler right now, undrafted free agent wide receiver out of northern Arizona. You know, uh, The undrafted free agent wide receiver hype went a lot, went heavily to Lil' Jordan Humphrey at the beginning of uh, OTAs and going into the off-season workout programs. But it's really been Emmanuel Butler that's really stood out there. And there was a little bit of a scare with him for a second to where he was on that active NFI list, but then he passed his physical the next day, and then he was back with the club. And so he's been out there making some really great plays. Uh, he's you know been, been two days in a row. You've seen his name mentioned. Uh, another one that I'll throw in there from that wide receiver core, too, is uh, Cyril Grayson. Uh, he ended up, or, or Cyril Grayson, uh, he's somebody that, you know, they've run on an end around twice. They're really working with him there. He got some looks in uh, off-season workouts with, as, uh, in the return game, and he also caught a deep post today from Drew Brees. Yes, I said a deep ball from Drew Brees. You heard me correctly. Everything is fine. Uh, so uh, those are two guys so far to me that have stood out as, uh, as pleasant surprises because that wide receiver battle is going to be pretty deep throughout this, uh, throughout this off-season. I think we probably said the same thing when it comes to him throwing the deep ball. I think we said the same thing about Cam Newton, him throwing the deep ball out in practice. Everything's okay for now. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you just kind of wait. You gotta, it's a wait-and-see type of situation when you just look at what's going on with the New Orleans Saints training camp underway. And, of course, we wound up having our first interception, if I'm not mistaken, yes. of training camp. Give us a little deets about the who and yes. how important that was. Yeah, so that was a pretty. There was a deep pass to uh, Simi Cobbs, and it was off of a bobble. Uh, he bobbled it once. It looked like twice, and then ended up popping up in the air. And then it was uh, re- not reserved, but deaf uh, linebacker. He played with the Saints early in the off season last year through the preseason. Darnell Sankey coming up with the interception there, and a little bit of a return on that too. But that was our first interception. We've had some close calls so far. Uh, Craig Robertson almost got one. Yesterday, Marshall Lattimore was close to one, and then we had a couple of pass breakups as well with Marshall Lattimore, and then today again with uh, Saquon Hampton, the uh, uh, six-round draft pick uh, for the Saints out of Rutgers, who's probably the, 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 the draft pick this year that we've talked the least about. I mean, we hear a lot about Eric McCoy and uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, of course, and then the two seventh-round picks are getting a little bit of hype around them, Caden Ellis and Elise Mack, but really Saquon Hampton somebody I'm excited about, so I was excited to see him get up there and continue to play defense like that. Yeah, I mean, with the, with the last name like Hampton and you've got guys like Alizé Mack and Eric McCoy and all the hype surrounding these guys, it feels like Hampton, I have to agree with you, was a little bit under undervalued. Talking right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, and the Locked on Saints podcast. And, of course, we got to talk. We gotta, you brought up the wide receivers earlier. You brought up one of those young guns. And, you know, Drew Brees talked about that yesterday, the fact that, you know, it's it's such a blessing in disguise to have, like, Michael Thomas not there. It's weird to say mm-hmm. that. But the fact you're able to give some of these young guys an opportunity to get some reps and get some – is is if, like, you see a Michael Thomas or another player get injured and you put this guy in into the fire with no real practice reps, this helps them out a lot more. Yeah, and I would actually – I mean, I've, I've been saying this for the past – week or so that I'm actually I would actually be pretty surprised that 
you know, when this all when the dust does settle with this Michael Thomas extension, how much do we actually see him uh, in training camp? I mean, obviously he's going to want the work, of course, and especially if he misses, you know, uh, you know, four or five practices or so. But I, I'm curious to see how much we actually see him. I mean, when you take a look at the running back snaps right now, you've heavily seen uh, Divine Zigbo on drafted free agent out of Nebraska and Latavius Murray, who we were talking about earlier. You heard his sound clip at the beginning of the segment here. Uh, he's We've seen the two of them way more than we've really seen much from Alvin Kamara. And so I think that that could sort of be the same type of signal with uh, with Michael Thomas, especially when you have, what, 11 other guys fighting for spots. Or I guess you could really say nine other guys fighting for spots under the top three. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's actually kind of nice to be able to see those guys get that work and then get the opportunity to go out there and sort of establish themselves and get a rhythm with Drew Brees just in case, you know, something like you just said happens and one of those guys gets thrust into action a little bit sooner than expected. Exactly. Talk right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, and the Locked on Saints podcast. And any other observations from the first two days of training camp? Of course, part of that was closed off under the cover of darkness. What can you say about like the first couple of days of training camp? Big observations. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, we mentioned Alize Mack here a second ago. Uh, today he made a couple of nice catches once the practice was closed down and moved inside, closed off to the public. Made a couple of nice catches off of some Taysom Hill passes, which aren't always the easiest. Uh, and so that really speaks highly to what Alize Mack is doing so far and fitting in. And then on the flip side of that, you would, imagine, you would imagine that he's a little bit in that battle for the tight end three spot behind Jared Cook and Josh Hill. So he would be in that battle along with Dan Arnold, who dropped a very apparently a well-placed pass by Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, at a later point in practice. So you can already see sort of that battle maybe starting to take shape a little bit. Those are two guys that I'm going to be watching pretty closely, along with Garrett Griffin, depending on how much, how many reps he gets. Uh, he's somebody that showed up in the playoffs last year after spending a lot of time on the practice squad with the Saints and then scored a touchdown in his first game. So he ain't do too bad. Um, and so it'll be really interesting to see how that all shakes out with that tight end three battle. Um, it's exciting so far being able to see uh, the way that Cam Jordan has been playing, you know, he gets his big extension and everything, and there's always questions after extensions, but he's never somebody that I would have worried about that with, not Cam Jordan. Uh, but he ended up getting what probably would have been a sack in yesterday's practice, so it's good to see that pass rush there. Linebackers are standing out. Didn't have A.J. Klein, still have yet to see Buck Allen as the running back. He's somebody else that's fighting for that third running back spot. Have yet to see him, but with a recent release, of theoretic, it'll be really interesting to see what might shake out there because theoretic would actually fit really well in the same system as a third running back as sort of a Alvin Kamara copy if you don't want to change up your game plan if you need to rest Alvin Kamara for a little bit. Uh, so those are some things that have really stood out to me. It's been a lot of fun to watch so far, man. I'm just glad that it's all back and glad that it's all rolling. Oh, trust me, same here, Ross. And we're going to have a little, <laughs> a little fun, a little lighter side here with this one because I'm sure you saw this pop up on the Twitter machine, and that is Jalen Ramsey's entrance to training camp and it was a thing where he wound up coming out <laughs> it, it makes me wonder like ross hypothetically let's say by like by like middle next week let's say monday or tuesday of this week of next week i should say he like michael thomas signs this 100 million dollar deal what kind of entrance would like michael thomas make to training camp would he do something oh. over the top like that I don't know that he would do something necessarily as over the top like that but let's run with it let's yes and this so yes. we see that he shows up with his Brinks truck, right? I don't know if it's possible to back up an entire vault <laughs> on a flatbed, but let's just say Michael Thomas does that once he gets that $100 billion contract because, I mean, it's a historic thing, so he might as well make some type of big grand gesture. And the only way that I could think to top the Brinks truck 
is several Brinks trucks or several Brinks trucks and an additional vault that gets backed up. Or he can show up like uh, like Sean Payton did with you know 100 mil in a bulletproof case and then roll that in. He could do that with armed guards as well. I'll throw one on top of the uh, throw one more log on top of the fire out of this Ross. We were bringing this up. Might as well have fun with it. So instead of the Brinks truck, instead of all that, we just have a straight up second line walk on to Airline oh, Drive and walk into the practice facility. A full blown second line all the way onto the field. That would be the most awesome thing of all time. Let's get that. And you know, you know, Michael Thomas is a big fan of No Limit. Maybe get yeah. Master P in there, yes! popping some bars too on the way in. Maybe get Choppa in there too. Teddy Bridgewater. Oh, oh man, that's the one. Oh that's God. All right, now, now, now you're making me really want to just uh, just imagine just uh, just imagine like you just have like all the no limit soldiers. You have like a special oh, like New Orleans it. Saints camo jersey that Mike Thomas is walking out with, hootie hoo blaring out of like the the speakers. <laughs> you're you're single handedly we're single handed come up with the greatest idea that will never happen. That's it. It's for the culture, man. It's for the culture. All come about on, the culture, Mike. baby. Come on, Mike. <laughs> Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll be talking to you throughout training camp and the regular season, my brother. Absolutely, man. Glad glad that it's all rolling. Glad to yes. be here, man. Thanks so much for taking the time and having me back. All right, Ross, take it easy. You can follow him on Twitter, Ross Jackson ASC. Make sure you check out the Locked on Saints podcast. My goodness, now, oh, man, I am just thinking all these things now about, like, what happens? Like, how do we, how do we work this? How do we put this all together to have, like, Oh, man, I didn't take a break because my brain is just like it's exploding right now with ideas about what Mike Thomas would do when he walks back out, when he walks out to the field, just full blown second line instead of like the, the Mardi Gras music. You got Hootie Hoop playing No Limit Soldiers. Oh, man, I didn't take a break. I'm just this is this is too good not to pass up. We'll be back after this right here on Acadia at a Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Show's gone off the rails, but I love it. From the preps, I gave it a uh, a ten, a ten to the pros. Kick ass on one, Ready. and everywhere in between. Let's get back under the dome with the world famous CD on Acadiana Sports Station, one zero three seven. The game. All right, things have calmed down a little bit now. I want to, in the break, just get all the giggles out because, my goodness, just such a great idea, <laughs> to say the very least. Oh, man. The No Limit Soldiers, second line, Michael Thomas. That's all I got to say. If you missed that, we'll have it up online pretty soon. 1037thegame.com is the place to go if you love all your on-demand content right here. On 103.7 The Game. And you know what? I'm having a lot of fun. And why not just keep the ball rolling? Because we have just enough time to kind of get one more thing in before we wrap up today's show. Thanks again. i gotta, I got to give a special thanks to everybody who jumped on the program. Brooks Cabina of The Advocate talking to LSU. We didn't get into any transfer portal talk, though. I wanted to give the question, but I felt like, you know, he's answered the question, asked it more than enough when it comes to everything that he did. At SEC Media Days, a lot of the conversation was around the transfer portal and interesting conversation, to say the least. Mind you, I was definitely asking a lot of the 
the coaches the same question about mental health, but mind you, that was because wrote a big old feature on it, and you can check it out on 1037thegame.com as well. Heads up, by the way, L- the Astros are going to be playing the St. Louis Cardinals later tonight. A 6-15 first pitch, pregame 5-40. It's weird, but whatever. We'll, we'll deal. It's not like the Atlanta Braves, who still to this day are 6-05 first pitch. 6-05 makes me think of the old, and especially on a Saturday, 6-05, baby, on the TBS Superstation. Yeah, we're talking about WCW back in the day, Danny. I don't know why I keep doing the Dusty Rose voice, but it is what it is, baby. But we got just enough time for one more take, baby, and we're going to get to it right now. Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. Yesterday, I opened up my email like I normally do every morning, just kind of get an idea of what happened while I was sleeping, what was going on in the world of sports, and sometimes find the obscure things and the weirder things in life. And one of those things was an article, interestingly enough, about if bowling can win over the Lebowski generation. I don't know why this is an actual thing the ringer wrote, but it is. And here's my take. Bowling, it's fun, but in terms of watching it on national television, because that's the gamble that Fox Sports is betting on it, where the PBA would be aired on Fox, which is a weird thing in 2019 that that they're thinking that's a good idea. When they had the big three, they could have kept that along, but now it's on CBS Sports Network, a channel nobody knows where it's at. It's on an island. Unless you watch Jim Rome's show, you know what channel it's on. That's a complete mess in and of itself, but it's just my thought process. Can bowling win over the Lebowski generation? I'm sorry, but the Lebowski generation doesn't necessarily want to watch some bowling. They want to bowl, dude. Let's bowl, brother. Bleep it, dude. Let's bowl. And why not kind of just have people enjoy bowling on its own? I feel like bowling, you know, it's always going to wind up having its fan base. And I'm absolutely loving every single moment of what's going on with the world of bowling, how much it's changed in recent years. I just bit my tongue. Ow. But again, bowling it's not going to win over the Lebowski generation. I don't know why this is a conversation in 2019. Bowling is bowling. It's not going to be a big dog to get people's attention. I'm sorry, but we have enough to keep our attention. All the pro wrestling in the world, all the all the sports that are going on, football, baseball, basketball. I'm sorry. Bowling can never be something that keeps your attention, especially on TV. That is a background noise, pal. That's all I got to say about that. We're out of here. Hope you have a great rest of your Saturday. Be back with you next weekend with another edition of Under the Dome with CD. And trust me, we're going to have fun because we are going to be talking a lot of training camp news and notes. All the folks talking about it. We'll be back next week right after this or next Saturday. Same bad time, same bad channel. Peace out. Oh yeah, kick it!